0: Without the grace of God. God's grace pardons, washes, cleanses, and makes us new, does it not? It does. And so today we give God praise, honor, and glory for the grace that's been bestowed. Upon our lives. If we are children of God and we have that grace, don't take that lightly. It is something that cannot be bought, it is something that cannot be earned, but it is something that is freely given, something that is bestowed upon us. And I praise Him for it today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. In chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we are going to read. When you get to Acts 9, say Amen. Because I want to make sure everybody's with me today. You there? Robert says Amen. He's there. Anybody else there? All right, let's get going in this. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in 22 because that's going to take us. before he leaves to Arabia. And then I'm going to read through 31. And you're going to see all of these places in this short period of time. really wasn't short. It was three years around that amount of time that all of this took place. But listen to what happens there in 22 and following. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was The Christ. Now, earlier I read to you out of a portion out of Galatians that tells us that from Damascus he went to Arabia. And then he came back to Damascus, and that is between 22 and 23. And so there's a three-year period there that's not in Acts, but it's in Galatians that I read earlier. Beginning in verse 23, three years later. It says, when many days had passed. In other words, this three-year period of time had came to pass, and it had moved on, the Jews plotted to kill him. He had returned to Damascus, and the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. The second time, it says in here that they wanted to kill him. Verse 25, But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. There's another group of people wanting to kill him. Why do they want to kill him so bad? Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Christ. That's exactly right. Verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And this is essentially the the recap of what I read earlier in Galatians 1, uh, there through about verse 20. Listen to what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, And Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. May God bless the reading of His Word today. Two weeks ago, last week I spoke over Psalms 34. Two weeks, a week before that, we talked about a changed Saul. He was changed. He was a changed man. He wasn't the same anymore. Why? We just sang about it because God's grace was bestowed upon him. Did he earn it? No. What did he do to get it? Nothing. God shone from heaven, he came down, and he made Saul alive. Everybody in agreement with that? We cannot get away from that. That is the clearest depiction of God's sovereign hand on a person's life in Scripture. Saul was adamant about going and killing Christians, and the Lord interrupts his ways. Comes down, and he's changed. And he's changed now forever. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, and this is something that we cannot get away from. We have to stick to this. 5 and 17, 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. And this is what Saul was. He was a new creation. The old had passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old had passed away. Behold, the new has come. The illustration I like to give with this, and, it's, and it's, it's a weak illustration in comparison to the Scripture we understand, but the illustration I like to give to this is, is when we go to canned goods. If you take grapes and you go to can them and to make jelly, and you go to make a jelly, you take something that is, is a grape... You smash it down, you do whatever you got to do to it, cook it down, boil it down. You do all this stuff, you add to it, you take away from it, you do all this stuff to it. And then you let it set up and then you have jelly. And it hardens and it becomes stiff and it's, it's completely changed. It's not even close to being the same as what it what used to be. It is preserved now. Completely changed. And when we think about being a child of God, and when we think about what happened with Saul, we have to understand that he is new. He went from grapes to jam. Do you understand what I'm telling you? He went from being able to be rotten now as he he is preserved. And like I said, weak illustration in comparison to the Bible, but I'm trying to get get you to follow me here. He was dead and now he is alive. Saul became a new creation in Christ. So does everyone who trusts in Christ by faith. You say, man, this was a pretty drastic change in Saul's life. Yes, it was. But don't we think that Drastic changes happen every day to those that are saved? Yes, they do. we got to understand that. New creation. Acts nine twenty two. Saul was in Damascus proving that Jesus was the Christ and he leaves. Between verses 22 and 23, Saul leaves and he goes to Arabia for three years according to Galatians 1, 11 through 18. You can reference that, write it down, and go back and read it later. We know that he was sharing the gospel and communing with the Lord for three years. He spent in Arabia for three years in the Nabataean region. He spent spent sharing the gospel and communing with the Lord. As soon as he comes back to Damascus, what happens? Persecution starts. Beginning in verse 23, we see Saul... Back in Damascus, and this is where things get interesting. Persecution and the gospel go hand in hand. If you've got a pen, you want to write that down. Persecution and the gospel go hand in hand. If you plan on living for Christ, persecution is the inevitable. Do we understand that? Persecution and the gospel go hand in hand. Three times in the passage of Scripture that I have read to you, three times it says that people were wanting to kill him. They didn't just want to hurt him, they wanted to kill him. Verse 23, listen to what it says. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. The Jews in Damascus wanted Saul dead. One of them dead. And this should not be a surprise to us at all. And the reason why it should not be a surprise to us is because we see in verse 16, if you go up just a little bit, where it was promised that Saul would suffer for the cause of Christ. Along with anybody that joins themselves to Christ. Are you suffering for the cause of Christ? Let me ask you that question. Do you ever suffer for the cause of Christ? And I know we're not talking about like a, and I think it can be soon, a physical suffering, but do you suffer for the cause of Christ with those that are, that are around you in your community? Saul was suffering because Saul was for Christ. This is why Saul was suffering. Saul was in the crosshairs of the enemy. You ever been there in the crosshairs? Anybody? Anybody awake this morning? Because it's fixing to be noon. I hope you're awake. Saul was in the crosshairs of the enemy. Satan's desire, no doubt, was to have him dead. To murder him. He was a wanted man. Saul's enemy had sat down and actually plotted and schemed a plan on how to catch him. They went to the governor of Damascus to even get help. Saul here in Damascus was surrounded completely, quite literally. Surrounded. Outnumbered, with the odds stacked against him, the enemy had taken notice of the Apostle Paul's or or Saul's work and the impact that he was having, and the enemy didn't like it—not one bit—because of going and doing. God's work is an attack against Satan's domain, is it not? He doesn't like that. And so he's going to do everything he can to shut him up. Saul was working for Christ. But I want us to understand that Saul was working for Christ just as violently and if not more than he was when he was under the power of Of the enemy. The Lord took this man who was violent and vile. Who was going about murdering people and he took this man and he turned his life around made him completely new. And now that same vehemency that was in him is now pointed in the right direction and it's for the cause of Christ. Satan didn't like that. Saul approached the gospel with an intensity, with a resolve and with power, and this got the enemy's attention. Are you getting the enemy's attention? That's a question I think that the church needs to ask today. Are we getting the enemy's attention? Some people say, well, I just, you know, they wouldn't say it out loud, but they'll say it probably in their heart. I just want to fly under the radar. I don't want to be attacked. I don't want to be persecuted. I just want to fly under the radar. I don't want Satan's persecution on me. You ever thought about that? You don't have to raise your hands. Please don't. Listen to me. If you are a changed person in Christ Jesus that that has experienced a new change that's truly been changed and transformed... Satan's desire is to kill you. And you cannot fly under the radar. You just can't. You can't fly under the radar. Satan's primary concern is to clip your Achilles heel. That's what he wants to do. By doing that, he can can impede your step, right? Once he cuts that little... Right there, you start limping. (laughs) Once you start limping, you get isolated. Once you get isolated, you're away from the pack. You're away from the herd. You're away from the flock. And once you're away from the flock and isolated by yourself, this is the time where he wants to pounce. This is the time where he wants to kill. This is the time where Satan wants to get you away from everybody that cares about you, that are transformed like you, so he can take you out. Persecution in this passage of Scripture is all the way through it. He wants to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. And you guys need to pray for me. As a pastor, I promise you, he does everything that he can do to make me ineffective for the kingdom. You know the verse in Psalms chapter 42 where the deer is panting for a drink of water? The only time I've seen deer pan is when they've been chased. The only time I see them panting and gasping for air is when something has been after them and they're thirsty. You ever feel that Satan is just, and his, and his, and his little workers, his little demons, I've been so after you, you're just wanting a drink of water, you're gasping for air, and it's like you just can't get him off of your back. Do you ever feel that way? Well, I want us to understand something. Here in this text, this is exactly what was going on with Saul. Saul was being persecuted left to right. Everywhere he went, Satan was coming after him. Everything he'd done, Satan was trying to counter it. He wanted Saul ineffective for the kingdom of God. He was trying to cripple him. 2 Timothy 3 and 12, I think, says it about as clear and I could really just read this verse and be done. I'm not going to do that. 2 Timothy three twelve is about as clear as the bursley is right now. It's crystal clear. It ain't raining so long, the bursley's clear, clear. Listen how clear it is. Second Timothy 3 and 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is so plain. And out there, I mean, if we can't figure that out. Paul tells Timothy there, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a Godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you are desiring to live for God, follow Him in what He has called us to do. If that is your desire, then you will be persecuted. 1 Peter 5 and 8, and we know this passage, but it is worthy of reading. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, to murder, to kill. But I want us to give us some good news with all of this persecution and all of this trial that comes from the enemy. I want to give us some good news. I want us to remember who Saul has on his side Saul has Christ and Saul's time had not yet come I want us to understand that just as Jesus' time had not yet come when everybody was trying to kill him his time had not yet come Saul's time here had not yet come and there was nothing going to happen to Saul that the Lord didn't allow to happen is in the hands of Christ. And for Christians and for children of God, we have to understand that's the greatest place to be is in the hands of Christ. But not just that. There's another thing that we have to see here. Not only did he have Christ, which is enough, but Saul also had the church. He also had the church. Look at verses 24 and 25. But their plot became known to Saul. Undoubtedly by, by, the, uh, by, the, by the Lord sharing it with someone, there's no, no doubt in my mind that that's how that came to be. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Now we're still in Damascus, 25. But his disciples took him, his disciples the people that he'd been ministering to, the disciples took him by night. The church that was there in Damascus. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Does that passage sound familiar to any of you guys from the Old Testament? We'll get there in just a second. The church... They're in Damascus. Not only did he have Christ on his side, and this is what we have to remember. Let this add to your Christianity this morning. Because we forget and we try to fight these battles alone, which is crazy. I don't understand how someone can try to fight against the enemy without the church at their side. And fighting with them. But people do, don't we? You ever try to do it? You ever try to press through by yourself? Yeah. How's it working for you? Just don't, does it? we got to remember that we have Christ. Let this add to who you are in Christ. That we have Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That He is with us and that He will never leave us. We are changed and we are changed because of Him. But not only that, but we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Look at the people that's with us. Look at the people that have our backs. There is strength in numbers. And here in the church, they are watching over this apostle. They knew the dangers of welcoming him back. They knew the collateral damage that could come with loving Saul. But they loved him anyways. They cherished him and they welcomed him back. They rejoiced when he came back. Of course they wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to love on him. Why? Because he was family. The church is family. Don't we understand that? There is a a scarlet thread that runs through each and every one of us that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and trusted Him as Lord and Savior. And that scarlet thread binds us together as a family. And so here in this text, we have to understand that yes, He has Christ the greatest, but also he has the church that has loved him, that has cherished him that has welcomed him in with open arms that has provided safety for him why? because he is part of them he is their family the church understood that Saul needed to leave for safety reasons this was not Saul being a coward this was not the church being cowardice They knew that Saul had a calling on his life. They knew that Saul needed to go because he was to preach to the Gentiles and to continue to go. And so what did they do? They did everything in their power to help him in that. That's what the church did in Damascus. They even took a play out of the Old Testament in order to accomplish that. straight out of God's word. Straight out of God's word they took a play. They lowered him down in a basket through an opening in the wall of the city. Just as Rahab did in the book of Joshua with the spies. You reckon that crossed their mind when that happened? I believe it did. Now it doesn't say that, but I believe it did. Because that was such a such a monumental occasion in, in, the, in the book of Joshua when the spies were let down when they got away and they were able to, to get back to the children of Israel and it was through Rahab here the people in Damascus they let him down in a basket on the wall of the city remember there was guards everywhere coming in and out guards looking for him do y'all remember us talking about how the stature of, of Saul, and how we, we read a it was a secular um, article about how short Saul was, and his his looks and, and what he it would have been quite easy for them to have let him down in a basket given that he was he was barely five foot tall if if that, been very easy, and so they put him in a basket and they and they lowered him down and and. Um, he gets away. And guys, we got to understand something. Satan will do anything and everything he can do to make you ineffective for God's kingdom. He will tell you go ahead and get your extra 15 minutes of sleep on a Sunday morning, even though church starts at 10 and 11. And we all get up and go to our jobs way before that. Right or wrong? He will tell you to sleep in. He will tell you that they're a bunch of hypocrites. And He will tell you don't go down to that place. They don't love you no more. Why will He tell you this? Because He is the father of lies. And the truth is not in Him. He will do whatever He can do to make you ineffective for Christ and for also the local assembly. This is what He will do. And if He has room, He will kill you. This is what He wants. Let's move on. Let's move on to verse 26. Got a few more points that I want to bring out. As we're moving really quickly through these places, we have went from Damascus to Arabia to Damascus, and now we're in Jerusalem in verse 26. Listen to what it says. He escapes out of Damascus, and now he's back in Jerusalem south. Quite a long distance, by the way. In Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. What was the last memory that they had of Saul? <laughs> what was the last memory? I'll tell you the last memory they had, they had of him is that he had went to the chief priest, remember that? And he got these things called letters that gave him permission and the right to round up all the Christians in Damascus to bring them back to be tried and to be murdered. That was the last thing that they remember about Saul. So the early church in Jerusalem had every right to be scared to death of this man. You understand what I'm telling you? You would be too. There's no getting around that. You would be scared of him. Now he comes back as a preacher. Once as a persecutor. Now he comes back as a preacher, as a proclaimer of the gospel. The church had great apprehension towards Saul. Saul wanted to be part of the church there in Jerusalem. What it says, he, he, he attempted to join them. He attempted to be with them and we, we also know, according to Galatians, to get the full picture when it says that he spoke with the uh, brought him to the apostles... It's talking about Cephas or Peter, and then James, the brother of our Lord. That's who it's talking about. Those are the two apostles that he spoke to, according to Galatians. But the church had great apprehension towards Saul. The church in Jerusalem had to be convinced that he was the real deal. And shouldn't it be with every church? Shouldn't it be with every church that that when people come, shouldn't it be with every church that the people should be convinced that they are the real deal? I mean, look at the churches that's around. Why do you think that we've got so many different churches with so many different problems? I'll tell you why. Because the church is not convinced. They've not been made to be convinced. They just let whatever, whenever, and however to come in and do what they want. But the church is a called out, set aside assembly for the glory and for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not to be taken lightly. You say, does membership mean something? Absolutely. Absolutely, it means something. It better mean something. It's not just a token or a ticket in your hat. No, this is, a, this is a, a, a big deal. The church couldn't sign off just because Saul returned. The church couldn't just say, Welcome back, ye persecutor. They needed further testimony than that. The local body didn't receive him. Yeah, he was part of the body of Christ, but the local church, the local assembly in Jerusalem did not receive him until a testimony was given about him, until a witness was given about him. Someone had to vouch for him. If local churches nowadays would take time to examine, to understand people. I think you would see that it would keep a lot of filth out of churches. And now it can be, a, obviously the, the, the house that we come to meet in, this building is a place where everybody can come. But understand that the called out assembly is special. And there is a standard that, that, that we're to live by if we're going to be part of that called out assembly so they were watching Saul. They were were watching him and they couldn't take part with him. They were first off scared to death of him and they didn't believe that he was a real disciple. But here comes Barnabas. Listen to what it says in 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. That's Cephas or Peter and James the brother of the Lord and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So here Barnabas is absolutely key in this confirmation of Saul before the apostles. Barnabas is key. Barnabas was one that was probably with him all the way through Damascus while he was there. And one that could testify to this. And so he does. And declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas here witnessed exactly what was going on with the life of Christ. And he testified to the church. In fact, yes, what he is saying is true. He wants to be part of this local body. He wants to be part of the people here. And the reason why is because he has truly experienced a change. He's no longer the old Saul that you remember. He is new. God's grace has been poured out on him. He is not the same anymore. What were they doing in Jerusalem? They were trying to protect the church, right? That's what they were doing. The witness was given from Barnabas. And once the witness was given, confirmation was then given. And, and that testimony stood firm. And, and the church allowed him to come and go. Then as they pleased, even though he just spoke to Peter and James, the brother of the Lord. But we have a testimony given on behalf of of Saul from Barnabas. He was confirmed to the apostles, then to the church, by Barnabas' testimony. Barnabas vouched for Saul. And I'm going to close with this right here. Let me share this with you. Would someone else Vouch for you and say, Yes, indeed, I have seen him in action. Would someone else vouch for me and you? If you were brought to another church, would someone stand and say, Yes? I have seen them display the fruit of the Spirit. I have watched them live like Christ. I have watched them love the unlovable. I can personally testify that they truly make a genuine effort to live godly. Would someone else vouch for you and say that? Would they be able to say that they put Christ or that person puts Christ first in his righteousness and his kingdom? Would they be able to vouch for you? See, Saul stood before the super apostles. Uh, he, was before, he was before Simon Peter. Barnabas comes up and he says, Yes, indeed, I've seen him preach. Yes, indeed, this man is the real deal. Would someone vouch for me? Would someone vouch for you? That's a question that you need to ask. Listen to what it says and I'm done. Because I want, to finish, I want to finish reading this. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> Yet another group wanting to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So here he is. I mean, he is going... Almost a full circle from Damascus to Arabia to Damascus to Jerusalem. And now he's going, I mean, all the way back up to Caesarea and then all the way to Tarsus. And then in 31 it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Get multiplied. May God bless the reading of his word today. And I pray that his church continue to multiply. Let's pray.